oh, 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 oh. You suffer MCs, you got no flow. I heard you style, you S-O-S-O. S-O-S-O. Every time I make a run, girl, you turn around and cry. I ask myself, why, oh, why? See, you must understand. I can't work a nine to five, so I'll be gone till November. Said I'll be gone till November. I'll be gone till November. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined for the last time this season by roster coach, founder, and 4 for 4 associate editor, TJ Hernandez. What up, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just uh, getting ready for this super, super short slate. And uh, before we get into the new week, I think we should start by giving congratulations to last week our man at 44 Joe Hoka took down the luxury box over on DraftKings. Oh yeah, congrats to Joe for that. You guys should definitely follow him on Twitter. Check out his weekly articles if you haven't been already. He's always dropping a ton of knowledge, but yeah, I got a DM from him around uh I think it was Sunday morning and he said I think he was in the lead for the luxury box and he sweated it out and ended up Ended up working out for him, so congratulations. Really, really big win for him. I know he's really hyped about that, so uh, congrats, Joe. Um, the music that played us in, Gone Till November by Wyclef Jean, off of Wyclef Jean Presents The Carnival from 1997. If any of the listeners out there have any connection to Wyclef and can get him to record a, a remix called Gone Till September, um, that would be dope. But, um, yeah, yeah, man, uh, I was just telling you, TJ, off the air that I remember back in the day they had before you could download music freely. I know some of you aren't even old enough to remember those days, but you had a if you wanted a bunch of different songs on one CD, you had to buy like these compilation albums. And I had this this one from the source and it had all these rap songs. And then at the end it was just this. And I was like, what the hell is this song? But <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but very, very fitting uh, with the last podcast of the year. Like you said, not quite gone till November, but, but gone for a little while. So we'll get through this. Uh, and then we'll guys, we'll leave you guys with the soundtrack to listen to all off season. Yeah, man. But we still got one more podcast to do. So we're going to get into it. We're going to break down both of these Championship games, starting with the NFC, the Packers at the Falcons, and we'll get into the Steelers at the New England Patriots. We'll talk about all the players involved. We'll talk about some strategy along the way. So let's get right into it. The Falcons are four and a half point favorites over Green Bay. The over-under is 61. No, I did not misspeak. That is really the over-under. Highest in a while. Atlanta's implied total is 32.75. Green Bay's is 28.25, which is almost unheard of for an underdog. The Falcons have gone over the total in 14 of their 17 games this year, and the Packers have done so in 12 of their 18 games. So if you combine the two, these two teams have gone over their total in 74% of their combined game so this game has a really good shot at having just a ton of points the over under is 10 points higher than the over under in the Patriots Steelers which is interesting because for DFS purposes anyway because the Steelers actually have a couple of the most expensive players on the slate so a lot of more the more affordable options are still in this Packers Falcons game even though it has the higher over-under. So a lot of opportunity for game stacks here and and to roster a bunch of guys and different combinations of guys from this game. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers has three or more touchdowns in eight of his last 13 games. He's got 300 or more yards in each of his last four games, including 350 or more yards in his last two games in the playoffs Last game without Jordy Nelson and the game before that largely without Jordy Nelson. So Aaron Rodgers has been killing it. I'm sure you guys saw the throw that he made to Jared Cook 
at the end of last week's game to send the Dallas Cowboys essentially home for the winter and summer and all that good stuff. So Aaron Rodgers is the most expensive player on the FanDuel slate at 9600 but on the DraftKings slate, he's only the fourth most expensive player at 8100 So if you play both sites, that's something to think about. Although on FanDuel, it usually is a little easier to fit those studs in. And then we come to a guy, Ty Montgomery, who I was actually high on last week. Um, I thought there was a possibility last week that Jordy Nelson, kept, you know, he catches six balls a game or so. And I thought there was a good shot that Ty Montgomery could pick up some of that slack. He ended up with 11 carries, but also got seven targets. A week ago, he carried both times when the team handed off inside the five-yard line last week. Of course, he scored those two short rushing touchdowns. And in the week before, he had two carries inside the 10-yard line in the first quarter, ended up getting banged up in that game. So Aaron Ripkowski ended up getting a short touchdown later on in that game. But I think Ty Montgomery is still the Packers' lead back. He's the guy that you want to be targeting if you're targeting a Packers back. And given how much success he had and the fact that he's getting these goal line carries now, I think you he's a guy that you really want to look at. He, he He's liable to catch six, seven, eight passes in, in any given game. And he's liable for double-digit carries. So a lot of upside with Ty Mont and his price is still pretty decent across the industry. In terms of the receivers, Devontae Adams, 12 targets two weeks ago, 10 targets last week. He's 7,600 on both sites. He finished the season as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver, even with Jordy Nelson in the fold. So I think Devontae Adams is still the top dog in this offense. Randall Cobb, 7 targets against the Giants, 8 targets last week against the Dallas Cowboys. He's 6,500 on FanDuel, 6,600 on DraftKings. And then you have Geronimo Allison, who had two targets against the Giants, five last week. So he's kind of still taking a backseat to these other guys. Of course, we have Jared Cook with eight or more targets in four of his last five games. Now, I think Jared Cook's huge game last week was somewhat a function of the matchup. We know the Cowboys had just been getting absolutely wrecked by tight ends. I believe over the last six weeks coming into that game, they had been giving something, giving up something ridiculous like, 10 catches and 100 yards per game to the tight end. So I do think you're going to see Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb come back to the forefront this week against the Falcons. The Falcons are a bottom five team in four for fours. Schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position. They're ranked 29th. TJ, who are you feeling more this week? Randall Cobb for the savings or Devontae Adams because he's probably still the, the lead dog in that passing offense. Yeah, so we have a few things going on with, with this offense right now. Um, Cobb and Allison both missed practice. In, uh, I'm sorry, Adams and, and Allison have both, both missed practice today. And then Green Bay came out and said that Adams isn't going to practice until Saturday, but they are saying he's, he's going to practice. So um, a little bit of a question mark there, but... Even if if we assume that he is going to play, him being Adams, uh, I, I think I kind of still like Cobb in this spot. A, a lot of people went back to him last week after his big game uh, the week before, and I don't I don't think you're going to get uh, an ownership discount on him just because it's such a short slate. So the fact that he had a little bit of a down game doesn't uh, come come into play as much, but. Uh, per uh, Pro Football Focus and Mike Clay, Atlanta's allowed the second most fantasy points per game to slot wide receiver this year. So that would suggest that uh, we could see a big Cobb game. So uh, if we combine that with the discount, uh, probably straight up, I will take Cobb. But uh, like I said, they're both going to be pretty close. I think their ownership's going to be pretty close. Uh, so I'll, I'll just kind of take that nugget. And if I do have to choose, um, probably Cobb. Yeah, I agree. Given the fact that Cobb is pretty much their only healthy receiver, mm-hmm. getting all the practice reps, we know how important that is with Aaron Rodgers. So I would figure Cobb to be a major part of this week's game plan. He 
has huge upside because we saw against the Giants he can kind of go deep, catch some deep balls, but catch some balls where Aaron Rodgers just kind of winging it. But then Cobb also gets those high percentage plays. And if these receivers continue not to practice, I think that's also a great sign for Ty Montgomery because they can motion him out to the slot if they need to. He can catch passes out of the backfield. So be sure to check the status of these guys. Jordy Nelson practicing on a limited basis, but looks like he's doubtful for this week. He's just really tough to play with a cracked rib. So a lot of things going on here. I think this is a situation where you want to pay attention to what the beat writers are saying as the week goes on. Uh, As I mentioned in my Raybon's review column this week, during the summer and the off season, when you're trying to use beat writers to help you in your fantasy drafts, it kind of it's tough because these guys really aren't paid to make predictions, and coaches really don't know, even know what they're going to do yet in the preseason. And but when you have these beat writers with this access on a week to week basis during the season, a lot of times they can catch these subtle changes and really let you know what's going on. And that was the case last week where late in the week, uh, one of the Patriots beat writers ended up essentially saying Deion Lewis will be kind of the lead dog in the Patriots backfield. And that helped out a lot of people make a lot of money. So uh, this is a situation where I really think you want to pay attention to the news as the week goes on. But assuming all these guys are banged up, I think Cobb, Montgomery, and Cook really would benefit. Um, In the red zone, Cobb and Adams in the playoffs – have three targets apiece. Jared Cook has two, and Ty Montgomery and Aaron Rutkowski have one. Um, Ty Montgomery has four red zone carries to Kristen Michaels, two, and Rutkowski's one. And last week, they had seven plays in the red zone. Ty Montgomery got a target or a carry on three. Jared Cook, uh, two targets, and Adams and Cobb, one target each. So, again, Ty Montgomery will probably be very involved in in this game, high over under, I think it's a it's a good spot for him. These teams actually did play earlier in the season. Aaron Rodgers threw four touchdowns in that game, only 246 yards. His touchdowns went to Jordy Nelson, Jeff Janis, Trevor Davis, and Geronimo Allison. So four different wide receivers actually caught touchdowns, which is interesting given that all these Packer wide receivers are banged up they did not have Jared Cook for this game Uh, Richard Rodgers didn't catch a pass so I do think now that they have Cook that will take some pressure off the wide receivers um, in in this game and then for the Atlanta Falcons 32.75 team total Matt Ryan Top 5 QB in fantasy all season. Humongous team total. Just a great play. He's actually cheaper than Aaron Rodgers on both FanDuel and DraftKings. And he's at home. He's the home favorite. That, that's the kind of quarterback you are we're looking for. So I think Matt Ryan is a great option in cash games. Devontae Freeman has 10 touchdowns in his last 6 home games. At least 1 touchdown in each of those games. And 19 and a half touches per game over his last four games for Freeman. So even though Tevin Coleman's in the mix, averaging 13.3 touches per game in the last four games, Devontae Freeman is still getting that running back one workload. Coleman, though, I think really warrants a lot of consideration. We know Freeman's a great player already. I don't have to go into that much more home favorite running back super high total scores a lot of touchdowns 20 19 touches a game but Tevin Coleman at 13.3 touches a game in his last four games he's only 4,800 on DraftKings 6,300 on FanDuel and you really have to consider playing him given this 32.75 team total Coleman has as much multi-touchdown upside as anyone on the slate he actually scored 12 touchdowns in 14 games this season, and he's the number two running back. So if you're looking for a play and you're a cheap play that can give you a, a bunch of upside and a bunch of touchdowns and may not go super high-owned because just because he is essentially or a lot of people will perceive him as a backup, I think his ownership will be kept in check relative to maybe some of the other running backs on the slate. TJ 
Do you like a Freeman Coleman stack? Because I think I really like a Freeman and Coleman um, playing playing both together in this high total game. What do you think of that? Yeah, I've been thinking about that on uh, kind of just how to come up with with unique strategies in general, and I, I think it's viable, um, especially on on DraftKings where you're not using all of your running back equity in one backfield. Mm-hmm. You could uh, theoretically put a, a, a third running back in your flex. Uh, whoever you think the the right person is. But we saw it last week. Uh, Freeman and Coleman um, both got a touchdown. We know Freeman's going to get a, a ton of um, the work near the goal line, but Coleman catches the ball a lot. He caught, the, I believe it was like a corner, an out pattern uh, for his touchdown from outside the red zone last week. So they do score in different ways. And, I mean, when, when there's this many points expected to go around uh, – on a team where the the Falcons have been, they've divided their touchdowns up pretty evenly. A few weeks ago, I, I tweeted out um, stats about how each team allocated their their touchdowns to position, and Falcons were one of the more uh, even teams across the board. Obviously, their volume numbers are are way up compared to other teams if we look at, at quarterback or wide receiver touchdowns, but uh, percentage wise. Um, they spread them out to running backs pretty evenly, and you talked about how touchdown-heavy Coleman's stats were. So um, I do like that as a as a really unique play, um, especially on DraftKings, where in theory you can get three touchdowns out of them combined. And when there's only five or six running backs to even think about rostering, um, I think that's a, a pretty interesting strategy. Definitely. I think on these short slates, you kind of have to – choose a choose a kind of overall philosophy and go with it last week i was talking to my boy greg and as the week progressed and we kind of were getting an idea of projected ownership and i was telling him that it looked like last week most the majority of lineups were going to have Le'Veon bell or ezekiel elliott and i was kind of saying i think my strategy is going to be a barbell strategy where instead of having one or the other i go with either none of them or both of them in lineups to try to get some unique roster construction. So this week, mm-hmm. there's only two game slate, so lineups are gonna there's gonna be even more overlap. So I do think that in, that really is an interesting strategy that I like a lot. Like you said, especially on DraftKings where you can still play a third running back. Moving on to the wide receivers for the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones played only 58% of the snaps last week, but still looked dominant. Eight targets, six catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown on just 42 snaps. A lot of those catches against Richard Sherman. And I came across something really interesting in the Falcoholic. It's a Falcons blog. And there's a quote taken from actually another one of their beat writers where... They were essentially. They essentially said that, and I quote: "The coaching staff has adopted what is essentially a two-part approach. First, they limit Jones during the week, getting him limited reps where it's absolutely necessary. Second, come game time, they use him wisely, treating him like a possession receiver and letting the healthier guys run the difficult routes. So this is something really interesting to me because I think we saw this play out last week too." where Julio Jones wasn't necessarily going deep down the field like we're used to seeing, but he was getting a lot of shorter, high-percentage routes, routes where he can just make something happen after the catch, um, use his body, and things like that. So that's something to keep in mind for people looking to roster him. Just beware that you might not get the, the deep ball from Julio, but there's still a chance where he gets six to eight, even maybe nine, ten catches, just shorter catches. I'm sure he'll still be used in the red zone, kind of like last week. So as long as he suits up, and again, that's another thing to monitor with this guy because he's playing through a toe injury, not going to really practice too much. But as long as he suits up, he's going to be used a little different. And if Julio's being used more as a possession receiver, that's interesting I think for Taylor Gabriel because that means Taylor Gabriel probably will be running some more of the deeper routes and we know he has speed to take the lid off a defense he has exactly six targets in four of his last five games he's 6k on FanDuel 4900 on DraftKings he was the wide receiver 21 on DraftKings from weeks 9 through 16 of the regular season 
Had another decent game last week, four catches for 71. So Taylor Gabriel is an option with a lot of upside. And then we have Mohamed Sanu. And Sanu has not had more than five targets since November, but he did lead the team in red zone targets this season. He's caught a touchdown in his last two games. In the last game against the Packers, Julio Jones... Five targets, three catches, 29 yards. But Sanu, 10 targets, nine catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. So Sanu, another guy who... Well, it's interesting to see if they're using Julio as more of a possession receiver. Maybe Sanu gets a little more work down the field too. Matt Ryan targeted him on a couple of downfield throws last week. He hit him on one, missed him on one. So, But I think you have to consider all these Falcons receivers just given the high implied total... And the fact that there are such limited options on the slate, pretty much any of these guys really has multi-touchdown upside just given the nature of this game. In the red zone, the Falcons had five throws last week. Sanu had two of them. Coleman, Julio, and Levine Toilolo had one each. Freeman had five of seven carries in the red zone, excluding Matt Ryan kneel downs and then at tight end for the Falcons Levine Toilolo played 81% of the snaps last week got four targets Austin Hooper which who you think you would think is more of the receiving tight end actually only got one target and played 54% of the snaps however just like all these other receivers at minimum price as a home favorite with a team total above 32 you have to at least consider punting with these guys, especially in a Matt Ryan stack. And it will give you some unique roster construction because the majority of users on the slate will probably be choosing between just three tight ends. And Jared Cook, probably still the most popular tight end, and he's the most expensive. So I do think you have to consider these guys, Toy Lolo especially, um, if he's going to be playing the most snaps in tournaments. And then we come to the defenses. It's it's a total of 61, but there are only four defenses on the slate. They're all going against good offenses. Now, interestingly enough, 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. Green Bay is actually the gives up the most adjusted fantasy points to opposing defenses they're ranked 11th but the other three teams on the slate are in the top five so tj what are your thoughts on these two defenses are the falcons as a home favorite a viable option especially on DraftKings when new england is 4k and no other defenses above 2300 yeah i mean before i jump into the defenses i just want to um uh, comment on the Falcons wide receiver situation and going back to uh, the blurb uh, from Mike Clay where he mentioned the slot wide receivers against the Falcons on the other side of the ball uh, Mike Clay mentioned that the Packers have allowed the most fantasy points per game to wide receivers who line up on the right side which is uh, mainly where Taylor Gabriel lines up at about half of his route. So um, another reason that if they are running those deep routes on the outside could be even more Gabriel. Uh, but moving on to the defenses, I mean, it, it is pretty clear that New England is is the top defense and the most likely to have a good game. And all, all these other defenses, you're, you're really just throwing a, a dart and hoping um, just for a miracle touchdown or a pick six or something like that. But uh, it's possible. We, we've seen it before where teams can give up a lot of points and still have a very good fantasy day on defense. Uh, I think it was the Chargers earlier in the year, and I think it was actually against the Falcons. They gave up something like 33 or 34 points and, and were still a, a top three fantasy defense. Uh, if I am going to pick one, and again, you're really just throwing a dart hoping that one of these punt defenses uh, has a big play or two. I'm actually kind of like the I, I like the other side. Um, I like Green Bay a little more just because we've seen that they uh, have an ability to force turnovers. They finished the season with the third highest interception rate over the final six weeks of the season. And I believe they were tied uh, for the most interceptions over the final six weeks. And a, a lot of that, I think they've been using a lot of uh, kind of exotic blitz, pa- blitz packages from the secondary, um, trying to create confusion. If they get two or three errant throws, um, that could turn into 
to a pick, and they've had one interception in each of their playoff games. Uh, on the other side, Aaron Rodgers has been pretty much mistake-free. He had one really weird throw uh, last week. That was his first interception, 300-something attempt. So uh, if if I'm just going to kind of throw a dart or flip a coin or whatever, um, it's Green Bay. But, I, I mean, like you said, the adjusted fantasy points allowed show that Green Bay is actually a better matchup. Um, you're, you're really just hoping uh, that you, you kind of hit bingo there. Yeah, I'd probably stick with the Falcons personally, just, you know, for the home favorite. Um, strange things happen when teams go on the road, and especially with these Packers wide receivers all banged up, even if Aaron Rodgers himself isn't turning the ball over, you have knuckleheads on that Packers team like Kristen Michael and Jeff Janis who are always liable to maybe fumble a football mm-hmm. or something like that. But, uh, yeah, how about you take us into this Patriots-Steelers game? Sure. So, I mean, any other week we'd be looking at a a 50-and-a-half or 51-point over-under and uh, be really excited about this game. But we have a game with a a 61-point over-under on the other side. So it's it's going a little bit unnoticed. So Pittsburgh's going into New England. Uh, New England's favored by 5-and-a-half. Pittsburgh is the only team on the slate projected to score fewer than 27 points. They have uh, an implied point total of 22 and a half. And for the most part, even on this really short slate, it's going to be um, the usual suspects for the Steelers, um, the killer bees or whatever you want to call them. So I'll start with Ben Roethlisberger, who's $8,000 on FanDuel and $5,800 on DraftKings. And uh, over, over the final six weeks of the season, plus the playoffs, uh, Roethlisberger has actually been very efficient, top 10 in the league in both touchdown rate and fantasy points per attempt. But at the same time, he's had one of the highest interception rates in the league, uh, 4.4% over that time span, which would have been uh, the fourth highest in the league to close out the season. Uh, the interesting thing about Roethlisberger is that he does have his lowest salary on DraftKings since week eight of the 2014 season. So what rostering Roethlisberger would do is put you in a very, very unique salary range, which uh, can give you a much needed unique lineup construction on the short two game slate. But if you do choose to do that, I think you should do it very, very sparingly. I mean, the the game theory idea is there, um, but the other quarterbacks just have such a higher ceiling, higher floor, just better projection all the way around than Roethlisberger. So I ran some simulations using four for fours lineup generator, uh, pretty much plugged in every reasonable player that I could into the generator. And out of the top 500 ceiling lineups, just seven showed up uh, with Big Ben in it. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how you might want to think about uh, building him into your lineups if you are max entering if you're entering something like 150 lineups um, even then just having maybe only four or five um, bin lineups might do the trick uh, new england's been uh, really good against quarterbacks top 10 in the league and touchdown rate allowed top five in fantasy points per attempt one of the highest interception rates in the league to close out the season and including their last playoff game and then of course Le'Veon bell you know what you're getting out of Le'Veon. He's 9,500 on FanDuel, 10,300 on DraftKings. So he saw 35 opportunities last week, 30 rushes, five targets, four red zone opportunities. Um, on FanDuel, you, you can fit him in. On DraftKings, his price is very prohibitive if you are playing cash games, which I wouldn't recommend you do a ton of. Uh, you obviously... Are going to, you can make a case for Bell. He's our top projected value on FanDuel. Uh, anytime you could get that kind of volume in tournaments, he's going to be worth taking a shot at. And kind of the same thing for Antonio Brown. Uh, not as prohibitive as, of a price tag, but Chris, as you mentioned, uh, these two guys are near the top. Uh, some of the most expensive guys, despite being on the team expected to have the lowest score. And you mentioned in your recap this week that uh, we kind of saw something similar last week where – uh, Bell and, and Brown were among the the most expensive guys, but uh, it was kind of a, a good idea to to fade that expensive price tag, uh, get to guys that were in better spots. So even more so this week, trying to untangle what to do with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Um, Belichick's known for for taking away a team's top weapon. That's usually 
the wide receiver one. But, I mean, Le'Veon Bell is basically a wide receiver that also plays running back. Um, we're probably not playing either of these guys in cash on DraftKings just because of their price tags. But um, they're they're both really viable GPP plays. So I wanted to know, Chris, if you have any idea or insight on how you think New England schemes to stop either Brown or Bell or both because they are known for that taking away the number one. Yeah, they're more so known for taking away the number one wide receiver than necessarily the mm-hmm. running back. I know they have that Super Bowl where they hit Marshall Falk a lot in the backfield, so maybe that's something mm-hmm. they'll do. But I'd be more worried about Brown from a schematic standpoint because here's the thing with Bell. You can let Bell run for 170 yards on you. And look what the Chiefs did last week. Bell ran mm-hmm. wild on them, but when they get in the red zone – they kind of bog down in that, and without with less of a field to really guard, that patience isn't quite as effective in the red zone. And that's why Bell, despite his monstrous season in terms of yardage gained, is a pretty pedestrian touchdown scorer. I mean, he had that, he had a couple games with multiple touchdowns, but he also started the season where I don't think he scored a touchdown in his first four or five games. So Bell is, you know, this, I think the Patriots will be okay if Le'Veon Bell is kind of going getting these like four or five yard gains six yard gains here and there and if they can just kind of bend but don't break in regards to Bell I think they'll be okay but if you stack the box to stop Bell I do not think the Patriots want Antonio Brown one-on-one because we've seen what happened in the Dolphins game when Antonio Brown just just a little step on anybody I mean, he can wreck double coverage. He can wreck a corner, beat a corner, and then just outrun a safety. So I think the Patriots will be more concerned with limiting and stopping the big play with Antonio Brown and kind of let the Steelers self-destruct on the road as they tend to do. And if the Steelers aren't playing the Chiefs last week, if the Steelers are playing a more competent offense, they probably don't advance. Because they got they they kicked six field goals. They didn't score a touchdown last week, so that's my thought. I I don't really worry about Bell. I mean, you can only do so much with him. Like I said, you stack the box. You're giving up too much with Antonio Brown. He's gonna get his yards, and he can split out like you said as a wide receiver in the slot, get one on one matchups anyway. So I, I'd be more concerned about Brown than Bell. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to agree with you on that. These teams did play earlier in the year, but it was with Landry Jones under center, so you kind of um, take that game with a grain of salt in that game. Uh, Antonio caught seven of his 11 targets for 106 yards. Le'Veon Bell totaled 149 yards, caught 13 of his 10 targets. So um, just kind of doing what we expect. Neither of them found the end zone in that game with Landry Jones under center. The... Only other guy, I mean, obviously a a short slate. You can make a case for a a lot of kind of obscure players. Uh, I I don't think that the Steelers are the offense to do it on. I think there's uh, there are enough guys where you can plug them into some unique spots. But one guy that I am interested in is Eli Rogers, forty nine hundred on Fanduel, thirty four hundred on DraftKings. Uh, Besides the Green Bay wide receivers, he's our top projected value on DraftKings. He did see seven targets last week, which was only second to Antonio Brown on the team. He's seen five targets in four of his last five games. Um, If you're playing cash on either side, I think he's a viable punt play. And if New England does stack the defense against Antonio Brown like we think they will, uh, really could open up things for Rodgers to um, have a little bit of a ceiling. Uh, I I think you might be a little more interested in Jesse James than I am, Chris. Yeah, I think you have to take him seriously after last week when he caught five balls for 83 yards against the Chiefs' mm-hmm. vaunted tight end defense. I saw him actually beat Eric Berry himself on one of those catches. That that was really good yardage for James that was on the road. Now he's playing the New England Patriots, and the Patriots actually are ranked 21st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. That is the only position where they're not ranked in the top half of the league um, in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. So on a slate where there's only four tight ends, really, one of them is on the Falcons, and that's pretty much a shot in the dark that you're only considering in tournaments, probably only in Matt Ryan stacks. I think James has to really be in consideration just given that he's one of 
three, you know, and he's playing mm-hmm. with a quarterback. He's playing with a good quarterback. I mean, he, we, like you, like you mentioned the the, the Patriots like to take away your, your best option. So, you know, they're probably just going to weave James in one-on-one coverage all day. Like if they're, if, if they concede anything in a zone, it's going to be Jesse James, like underneath catch. And if they concede anything in man coverage, it's going to be Jesse James, you know, single coverage all day. So I really think you do have to consider him. We, he does have some touchdown equity because, I mean, really, in the red zone, you have Antonio Brown and you really don't have anyone else. We talked about Le'Veon Bell, really, he's been struggling somewhat to score touchdowns in certain spots. So I, I like Jesse James a lot this week. Yeah, I mean, all those points make a ton of sense, especially when you consider um... – how few options there are at tight end. My my main concern is just with with Ben Roethlisberger. I think there is some potential for um, him to throw multiple interceptions in this game and and really give the Steelers limited opportunities here. Uh, but moving on to New England, uh, New England has an implied point total of twenty eight points, and I think this is really interesting, especially uh, for Tom Brady. He's eighty three hundred on Fanduel and seventy one hundred dollars on DraftKings, and I think if you're if you're building multiple lineups, which if you're playing a two-game slate, you're, you should probably be building quite a few lineups, uh, especially if you're playing smaller stakes games. From a simple game theory perspective, I think you should want um, a fair amount of Tom Brady. New England has an implied point total that's higher than Green Bay's, but we're probably going to see Aaron Rodgers somewhere to 15 to 20% higher owned than Brady. Now, Green Bay does have a, uh, a much more... Um, pass-heavy offense, especially when it comes to to scoring. But on these short slates, if you can find this 20% gap in ownership percentage, uh, it's not that far-fetched to think that if New England gets to their uh, 28 implied points, that three of those touchdowns come from Brady. Uh, he's tied for a lowest salary of the season on DraftKings. So I, I do think uh, that you don't want to just completely ignore this game and only load up on Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan. Obviously, the most likely thing to happen is that Rodgers and Ryan outscore uh, both Brady and Roethlisberger, but we're, we're not looking for the most likely in tournament. We're looking for uh, the low likelihood that we hit on. And then the backfield for New England. I also think this is very interesting, too, because we know everybody's going to be going one way, but it's one game. So we have Deion Lewis at 7,000 on FanDuel and 5,300 on DraftKings. LeGarrette Blunt 6500 on FanDuel, 4400 on DraftKings. So we've seen Lewis jump Blunt in salary. He outtouched Blunt 13 to 8 on just six more snaps last week, including a 4 to 1 uh, touch uh, carry in the red zone, uh, Lewis to Blunt. Lewis is our top projected value on DraftKings, but Blunt's price is the lowest it's been since week two. And we've seen it in the past. We haven't talked about it much lately because things have kind of went as expected. There's been uh, there was a long stretch where Blunt was the only guy uh, to tote the rock in New England, and then Deion Lewis came back, and he's kind of been getting the work that we expected. But we have a very long history of Belichick just kind of swinging his running back touches on a dime with no warning. And kind of like Brady, uh, if New England scores four or five touchdowns, it's still not out of the question that Blunt gets two of those. I mean, he's been a touchdown monster all year. I don't think that he just all of a sudden becomes irrelevant in this offense because he only saw eight touches last week. He was still going touch for touch with Lewis. In my opinion, the the savvy GPP move is to be heavier on Blunt this week. Do you have a preference on either of these New England running backs in large field tournaments, Chris? Oh, it's obviously Blunt. Without a doubt, one player scored more touchdowns than LeGarrette Blunt this year, and that was David Johnson. So mm-hmm. just because LeGarrette Blunt had a bad game, which, by the way, he was sick and missing practice on Wednesday and Thursday, mm-hmm. and they had a Saturday game. And we know that for, for certain guys, especially in the backfield, like practice is still important for New England. I'm sure that Deion Lewis will be heavily involved because they signed him to a contract last offseason, um, last season, actually. And they usually don't do that with running backs. So we know the Patriots do want to involve Deion Lewis. But let's not forget that Garrett Blunt did get a goal line carry last week. He just didn't convert it. And the Patriots kind of got cute mm-hmm. on some other 
plays in in close where they ended up throwing instead of running and then Dion Lewis just happened to be in on the next time they got down there and he converted like you said TJ I think Blunt has that multiple touchdown upside I mean literally just one player David Johnson scored more touchdowns than him I know that um Lewis wasn't active all year, and Lewis is definitely eating into some of Blunt's early down work. But I think this is a situation similar to Tevin Coleman's in Atlanta, where it's such a short slate that you want to have exposure to these guys that, in theory, especially as a home favorite, have multi-touchdown upside, even if they're not going to get 100% of the goal line work or 100% of the red zone work. We only have, like you said, five, six running backs to really, six running backs to legitimately choose from. And I think you have to consider Blunt. And considering that Lewis will have all the higher ownership after, for all the people, about the 65, 70% of people in the industry <laughs> that, that missed out last week, I think Blunt tended to be high. Well, depending on which, some of the sharper tournaments, I think Lewis was the higher owned guy. But uh, mm-hmm. Blunt was still um, pretty highly owned last week. And I think people that got burned will be like, yo, no, I want Lewis. Lewis is returning kicks. He's getting targets. But Blunt has just as much touchdown upside, and I could see him right back into it. I think that's kind of how Bill Belichick works. He kind of likes to motivate guys. So I think now that Blunt has seen Lewis have his big game, we know Blunt has had these three touchdown games in the playoffs in the past. I think he'll be motivated. He's not sick anymore. He's going against his former team that, you know, he's going against his former smoking buddy in, <laughs> in Le'Veon Bell that has been taking the league by storm ever since he started smoking with LeGarrette Blunt. So, I mean, I think this is a eruption spot for uh, for Blunt right here. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard on a slate with only four teams to be uh, egregious, but I think Deion Lewis will be the most egregiously overowned player of the week. Uh, I would go as far to say it as whoever wins whatever large field tournament you're in, whoever wins the 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 Sunday million isn't going to have Deion Lewis on their team. Um, going past the New England running backs, uh, looking at at the passing game, uh, we know Edelman is is going to be Edelman. Uh, he's 7,800 on Fandle, 7,300 on DraftKings. Uh, he's going to be that guy that gets. He, he's been around 30% target share since Tom Brady came back. Uh, double-digit targets, and we saw the same thing last week. He saw 13 targets last week, which accounted for over a third of the targets. Um, I think he accounted for something like 40% of the team's receiving yards. So he's going to get you that that very steady production. I'm going to be sprinkling him into uh, my tournament lineups. Obviously, uh, he's he's going to be the, the most predictable receiver on the slate, I think. Uh, but after him, it's kind of a dart throw. Chris Hogan is questionable. So if he does sit, I'm fine with throwing a dart at Michael Floyd, 4,700 on Fandle, 3,300 on DraftKings. But I'm going to be doing that uh, very sparingly. I mean, if you have 5 to 10% of your lineups with Michael Floyd in them, I think that's uh, more than enough. I think the other pass catcher that you're definitely going to be interested in on this team is Martellus Bennett. Uh, Pittsburgh is worse uh, on defense against tight end than in any other position. When adjusted for strength of schedule, they rank 18th against tight ends. They're six or better versus every other position. Uh, Bennett is our top projected value on both sites. He's our top ceiling value on FanDuel. And kind of like you were talking about with uh, Jesse James, tight ends just very ugly this week. Jared Cook's going to be the most popular player of the week, but we know Richard Rodgers can vulture a few of those touchdowns from him, one if not two. Um, and and Bennett's probably just my favorite overall tight end this week, um, just from a value and a game theory perspective. And I do think that we're we've been talking, we kind of talked about this with running backs. I think it is on this very small slate. Um, I think it's a decent idea to roll out a few lineups, especially if you're mass multi-entering with a tight end in the flex. I don't think a, a, a Bennett Cook team is the worst thing ever on a two-game slate do you have any feeling about that chris oh yeah i had a ton of double tight like ton of jared cook in the flex last week i think Mm -hmm. on a short slate you really have to kind of 
ignore all these correlations that you've got in your head that aren't mm-hmm. optimal. Like, I believe in the winning quarter million lineup on DraftKings, you had your running back defense stack and you had your quarterback receiver stack, but you also had a running back wide receiver stack without the quarterback and things like that. And a, I think a running back tight end stack. So you're just play the play the players that you think will score the most points. Don't think about the correlations too much. I mean, with if when you're making multiple lineups, you can obviously kind of spread out the lineups in such a way so that certain things do correlate. Um, but for the most part, you just want to create the optimal lineup. And if that's going to be a tight end in the flex, especially if you're going with one of these off-the-board plays like a Falcons or a Jesse James or something like that, like you're going to get unique roster construction because a lot of people are probably just going to go with a triple running back this week or maybe a fourth receiver like an Atlanta receiver or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like it. I like all the kind of unconventional things. I think whatever you can do to get some – some unique roster construction. I think you, sh- you should go for it this week, especially in a large field. There's no real wrong answer when there's only four teams playing. One thing to keep in mind is your big game studies, TJ, your big game profiles. You found that a majority of the big games do come from the winning teams. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind when, when you are making these lineups. I know last week a ton of players came from the winning teams aside from uh the cowboys uh, every other mm-hmm. every other game it was really mostly players from the winning team chiefs didn't really have anybody seahawks kind of every, it was a little too spread out and, and so uh, something to keep in mind for this week yeah and and kind of my my last thought on on the short slate um i think if you if you're on a limited bankroll um i think you're you're a little bit handcuffed the best thing you could do is make um, as many lineups as possible at the smallest stakes that that you want to play. Try to cover cover all your bases. Um, the the problem with that, and we've seen this in the past, where some of the sites have been hesitant to run qualifiers on two game slates, or we've seen people complain about qualifiers on two game slates because uh, sometimes you'll see a ten fifteen weight uh, tie at the top. I think that uh, could happen. If you have the bankroll and you're trying to um, decide where to put your money, I think this is as good a week as any to play uh, the highest stakes that you can afford. Uh, we saw Holka take down the luxury box last week, and that's a very small field. I think 120 something entries. So, if you can afford those 500 plus dollar buy-in games where you're only p- playing a couple hundred opponents. Uh, way higher likelihood that uh, you're going to have a lineup that someone else didn't think of or wasn't able to uh, enter because it, it doesn't have as high of, have <clears throat> high of a, a max entry. So uh, just something to think about uh, before you just kind of blindly enter games this week. Yeah, and on the higher stakes, people are going to be hesitant to pivot to these mm-hmm. contrarian options. So you can just have a couple of guys where and like one guy can legitimately make your lineup this week even in the mm-hmm. large field quarter millionaire tournament on DraftKings last week which I forget how many entrants there is but I know there's a good near a hundred thousand I think if not more um I believe Ty Montgomery was the only player under 10 percent owned in that mm-hmm. in that lineup so one player can literally make your entire lineup as long as you as long as you get some of the other things right so that's something to think about on these short slates but i would recommend like tj said kind of going through the lineup generator on four for four plugging everybody in and just looking at the top 10 or the top 50 lineups and kind of seeing what the optimal lineup is because this is a situation where you want to kind of know what the optimal is because there's so few players and then see how you can try to improve that or pivot to some lower ownership off of that without completely throwing everything out of whack like last week where even though Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown had good games, um, they weren't as valuable in terms of actually taking down a tournament. Brown actually was in the winning, I think, FanDuel lineup, but it, it, it just so happened that... Um, that that was the case. There were a lot of other receivers that scored higher than him, and then on DraftKings, he kind of he, he kind of kills you, and, and so did Bell. Just depending on um, depending on your roster construction, unless you really went cheap at uh, a lot of other places. So something to keep in mind. Check out the optimals. Um, TJ, quick word about roster coach before we close things out. 
Yeah, so we are shutting things down for NFL season, um, both here and at Roster Coach, but uh, we are continuing with other sports at Roster Coach. We got Tom Beluka and Matt Lamarca doing really great NBA work over at Roster Coach right now. Uh, They're breaking down all of the uh, full slates, doing uh, lineup deconstructions every single week, available for one-on-one coaching. Uh, They're getting on Periscope before Lockett and giving you all the information you need for NBA. Uh, Obviously have fantastic courses over there. If you uh, are wrapping up NFL season this week and want to get into some NBA, uh, they really just do a great job of of breaking down how you can transition your game uh, into a different sport. So really excited about that. Uh, We'll be available uh, all season at Roster Coach to uh, give you a little taste of DFS while you're waiting for NFL season to start uh, next year. Absolutely fantastic site. Follow Roster Coach at Roster Coach. Follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Do want to remind you guys that early bird discount rates for four for four subscriptions are currently available. You can find the link in my pinned tweet for that. And we just want to thank you guys for listening in, tuning in all year. It's been fun appreciate all of the feedback you guys have been giving love this little community and if you guys enjoyed the podcast all year uh we would love it if you went on itunes and gave us a quick review that would really be much appreciated and shout out to just everybody listening from the casual fans to the people in the industry um we hope you guys have had a good season we hope you we hope we have helped you guys to make some shmoney tj any last words yeah, I mean, just want to reiterate what you said from uh, from our fellow analysts, our colleagues, our coworkers, uh, fans, people on Twitter. Every tweet we get, every question we get, uh, appreciate it so much. It's it's been a hell of a season. Uh, I love doing this, and and I love everyone uh, that tunes in and, and and gives us our feedback, good or bad. Uh, it's been a great year. So thank you, everybody, and we'll be back in before November to get this money. Let's get this money. Dedicate this record the carnival to all you brothers taking long trips down south, Virginia, Baltimore, all around the world. And your girl gets this message that you ain't coming back. She's sitting back in a room, the lights is off, she's crying. And then my voice comes in, pow, in the middle of the night. And this is what I told her for you. Every time I make a run, girl, you turn around and cry. I ask myself why, oh why See you must understand I can't work a nine to five So I'll be gone till November Said I'll be gone till November I'll be gone till November You tell my girl you I'll be gone till November I'll be gone till November I'll be gone till November You tell my girl you I'll be gone till November January, February, March, April, May I see you crying, but girl, I can't stay. I'll be gone till November. I'll be gone till November. And give a kiss to my mother.